Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome back, Wanderers. As I said last episode, I need to change the name of this podcast, and I need your help. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a survey where you can vote on your favorite new name for the show. If you enter your email address, you'll be added to a drawing to win a $50 Amazon e-gift card. Now, in today's episode, I'll cover How are the kingdoms of the Noldor situated in the siege against Morgoth? How was the hidden kingdom of Gondolin established? How did Thingol finally learn of the kinslaying, and what was his reaction? This episode is an analysis of the chapter called Of the Noldor and Beleriand, and a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and published after his death by Ballantine Books in 1977. A link to purchase The Silmarillion is in the show notes. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast. We explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Lagovanian, fellow wanderers. Today's episode date is March 17. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 3019 of the Third Age, the Battle of Dale happens in the north. An orc captain brings Frodo's cloak and mail shirt to Baradur. Aragorn musters the armies and they prepare to depart from Mordor. In the Houses of Healing, Faramir, Eowyn, and Merry recover from their wounds. Frodo and Sam are scrambling over rocky terrain in Mordor on their way to Mount Doom. This is adapted from Today in Middle-Earth History Calendar on the OneRake.net. Let's check the map and get our bearings on the story so far. It is the first age of Middle-Earth. The Noldorine elves have mingled with the Sindarin elves and have laid siege to Morgoth's realm in the north of Beleriand. Although Feanor has been slain, the elves have thus far been victorious in battle. We start today by briefly examining the organization of the realms of the Noldor. In between the chapter that I covered last week and the chapter I'll explore this week, there's another chapter called Of Beleriand and Its Realms in the Silmarillion. I'll touch on this chapter just briefly. This chapter covers in great detail the geography of Beleriand and the different areas that were held by the Noldor. Basically, on the east was Fingolfin, and the brother of Feanor and the High King of the Noldor, along with his sons and his brother Finarfin's sons. Eventually, one of Finarfin's sons, named Fingon, will travel a little further south to establish Nargothrond, as we talked about in the last episode, and one of Fingolfin's sons will found Gondolin, as we'll talk about in this episode. Two more sons of Finarfin also cover a central region. The eastern regions, up to the Blue Mountains on the far eastern side of Beleriand, are ruled by the sons of Feanor. These regions were considered the least defensible, and so the chief of the sons, Maedros, took the most dangerous position. The Blue Mountains in the west were occupied mostly by dwarves. Remember, these mountains exist in the Third Age of Middle-earth and are west of the Shire. Two other notable regions are Doriath in the central of Beleriand, which is surrounded by the Girdle of Melian, and Círdan the Shipwright, who leads a contingent of Sindarin elves along the southwest coastline of Beleriand. 
Now, I'm impressed if you're able to keep all of that straight in your heads while listening to someone talk about this, especially without a visual. And in the Silmarillion, we're actually given a visual map that shows in high level the geography of Beleriand with the general areas of which elven rulers are responsible for which regions. Another great visual resource is in a book called The Atlas of Middle-earth by Karen Wynne Fonstad, where she provides a fairly detailed map of the various kingdoms along with the relationship key for all the different elven factions. I highly recommend this resource, and you can find a link to purchase the atlas in the show notes for this episode. The detail of the geography shows not only the breadth, but the depth to which Tolkien thought about his mythology. The development of geography, culture, and language that Tolkien provided us is unmatched, in my opinion, by any other fantasy thinker. You're welcome to send me an email if you have a recommendation of a deeper thinker and world builder. This detail, however, is sometimes a barrier to people enjoying the story. A friend of mine said that he tried reading The Lord of the Rings, but couldn't do it because of all the descriptions of the geography and plant life. And honestly, I don't blame him. I remember in one of my read-throughs that I skipped pages and pages of description, and even when I attempted my hand at fantasy writing, I believed a good writer needed to know all geographical details and have a deep knowledge of botany in order to write compelling fantasy. But I think Tolkien really strived for consistency within his own world, and the details of geography and plant life reveal as much about the story as do the characters, their choices, and their dialogue. Let's move forward now to Turgon and the founding of Gondolin. Turgon is the son of Fitgolfin, who is High King of the Noldor. Turgon's grandfather was Finway, one of the three original ambassadors to see the light of the trees and convince the elves to journey to Valinor. In our last episode, I shared how Ulmo warned Turgon in a dream to find a place of great strength as a last refuge should the siege against Morgoth's forces fail. With Ulmo's help, Turgon had found a hidden vale, accessible only through an underground passage that a river had cut under an encircling mountain range. In the middle of the vale was a lone hill upon which Turgon was inspired to build a great city, in the likeness of the elven city of Tyrion that the Noldor had built in Valinor many years before. After the last battle, which I described last episode, Turgon executed a plan to build a city in secret, and sent forth many of his most skilled people to do so. After 52 years, interesting how specific that detail is, the city is ready to be inhabited, so Turgon begins to send forth his people in small groups. His people at this time included up to a third of the Noldor that followed from Golfin. Remember, these Noldor had been abandoned by Feanor and his sons, and endured the crossing of the grinding ice in the north, and many Sindarin elves as well. Thus the city has two names, for the Noldor and the Sindar each had a different language. The name in Noldorin elvish is Andolindele, or the Rock of the Music of the Water. For the city had been built with several fountains all throughout, which reminds me of the first sound that the elves had heard after awakening, that of running water by the lake of Quivienen. The name for the city in Sindarin Elvish is Gondolin, the Hidden Rock. The Sindarin form of Elvish was much more widely spoken, both because the Noldor were quick to learn it, and because Noldorin Elvish would be off-limits for the Sindar to speak, as we'll learn in a few minutes. Because Sindarin was much more common, the name for the city in Sindarin, Gondolin, became much more well-known. So let me point out a few references to Gondolin, the Hidden City. In The Hobbit, Gandalf and Thorin pick up some swords from the Troll Horde. This is after the trolls turn to stone, of course. As they are resting in Rivendell, they bring the swords to Elrond, who is a master of lore. Elrond is able to read the runes emblazoned on the swords, and says this, quote, These are not trollmake. They are old swords, very old swords, of the high elves of the west, my kin. They were made in Gondolin for the Goblin Wars. They must have come from a dragon's horde or goblin plunder, for dragons and goblins destroyed that city many ages ago. This Thorin, the runes name Orkist, the goblin cleaver in the ancient tongue of Gondolin. It was a famous blade. This Gandalf was Glamdring, foe hammer that the king of Gondolin once wore. Keep them well. So there's a lot to unpack there. First, Elrond says that these swords were made in Gondolin for the Goblin Wars. 
These wars are the same wars that the Noldor fought against Morgoth to reclaim the Silmarils. I'm not sure how much the story of Gondolin was formed in Tolkien's mind as he wrote The Hobbit, but it's clear that some formation of it had started. In fact, Tolkien wrote a story that he called The Fall of Gondolin while on sick leave from the army in 1917. That's during World War I. So we know that Gondolin was one of the chief tales of Tolkien's mythology. Also, Elrond gives us a few spoilers. While we're examining the founding of Gondolin today, eventually the city will fall to dragons and goblins or orcs. And lastly, the sword that Gandalf bears is the same sword that Elrond claimed the King of Gondolin wore. And who was the King of Gondolin? Turgon, son of Fingolfin, son of Finway. In that quote, Elrond also claims the Elves of Gondolin as his kin. Indeed, in the Fellowship of the Ring book, during the Council of Elrond in Rivendell, Frodo exclaims his surprise at how much Elrond can remember, to which Elrond responds, quote, But my memory reaches back even to the Elder Days. Arindil was my sire, who was born in Gondolin before its fall. So, to follow the family lines back a little bit, Elrond's father, Arindil, is a grandson to Turgon. Confused yet? I hope not, because I have a couple more for you. While journeying through Moria, Gimli sings a little song about the glory days of Moria. In his song is this line, quote, The world was fair, the mountains tall, in elder days before the fall of mighty kings in Nagothround and Gondolin. Okay, one last reference to Gondolin. When Frodo and the Fellowship arrive in Lothlorien, they are introduced to Gladriel and Celeborn. Gladriel is introducing Celeborn and herself to Frodo, and she says this, quote, I have dwelt with him, meaning Celeborn, years uncounted. For ere the fall of Nargothrond or Gondolin, I passed over the mountains. So maybe you've noticed a pattern in these references. That Gondolin is most often referenced with Nargothrond and is almost always remembered as having fallen. The fall of Gondolin is one of the greatest tragedies of the Lord of the Rings legendarium. In fact, in 2018, J.R.R. Tolkien's son Christopher published a book called The Fall of Gondolin. In this book, Christopher compiled and analyzed various versions of the story as his father revised and redrafted it over many, many years. The story that we have in the Silmarillion, Gondolin and its Fall, is really a summary of a more in-depth tale. This book is a fabulous resource, with illustrations by Alan Lee, who is a definitive illustrator for Tolkien's works. For the deep diving fan of Tolkien, I have a link to purchase The Fall of Gondolin from Amazon in the show notes for this episode. Okay, that's enough about Gondolin itself for now. Let's return to Turgon for a moment. Before he leaves his western land, Ulmo returns to give Turgon advice including a warning that treason will come even within Gondolin's walls. But as a sign before the fall of Gondolin is to happen, at a future day, someone will come from Turgon's seaside tower and, quote, from him beyond ruin and fire, hope shall be born for elves and men. Almo instructs Turgon to leave for this person a set of armor and a sword so that Turgon will recognize him when he comes to Gondolin. In the hidden city, Turgon's people thrive. Turgon carves images of the two trees of Valinor, and his daughter, Kilibrindal, is born. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, 
this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. While Gondolin is being built and Nargothrim carved out of the rocks, Gladriel dwelt in Doriath. She would often speak with Melian, the Maya, and learned many things from her as well as share many deeds of the elves in Valinor. But she would not speak of the events that happened after Morgoth killed the two trees. When Melian asks why this is so, Gladriel responds, quote, For that woe is past, and I would take what joy is here left, untroubled my memory, and maybe there is woe enough yet to come, though still hope may seem bright. It's clear from this response that Gladriel feels deep remorse from the events that followed the killing of the trees, and we see again the Tolkienian theme of hope, even with woeful events in the past. Melian, in her wisdom, perceived that the Noldor did not leave Valinor on good terms with the Valar, and Gladriel confirms this by saying that they returned to Middle-earth, quote, to take vengeance upon Morgoth and regain what he stole. She then shares of Feanor and his Silmarils. Yet Galadriel said nothing about the oath of Feanor, the kinslaying of Alqualonde, or the burning of the Teleri ships. Melian shares this information with Thingol, and perceives that the whole situation is much deeper than the Noldor think, saying, quote, For the light of Amun and the fate of the world lie locked now in these things. Now, when I read this counsel from Melian, I am reminded of that line way back in the chapter called Of the Beginning of Days, which I explored in episode 2, Light and Life. When Tolkien was describing the two trees of Valinor, he wrote this line, quote, About their fate, all the tales of the Elder Days are woven. So if you've listened to that episode before, and this was your first time through the Silmarillion, you may not have fully understood that concept yet, but I hope by now you've been able to trace the common thread of all these stories, the light of the two trees of Eleanor, how that led to the fall of the elves, and how the displaced desire to possess the light is the motivating goal behind many of these character stories. Let me provide another quote that can take this idea a little further. In some versions of the Silmarillion, a letter that Tolkien wrote to his publisher, Milton Waldman, is included. As part of this letter, Tolkien says, quote, Anyway, all this stuff is mainly concerned with the fall, mortality, and the machine. Now, I'll glaze over the word choice of this professor, master, and creator of languages in calling his life's work stuff, and I won't pretend to fully understand what Tolkien meant by the fall, mortality, and the machine. But he does go on to describe that in his stories, there are many tragedies of creatures rebelling against their creator. We've heard several already. The fall of Melkor, a.k.a. Morgoth. The fall of Feanor. The fall of the Noldor. All of these stories in the Silmarillion will deal with these tragic choices, and the struggle as individuals and civilizations work through these tragic events. But that leads me back to the counter-theme, the theme of hope, despite evil, growth, even through sorrow. I believe there's something deep that touches the human soul when we choose to wander through Tolkien's world. But back to Melian and Thingol. Melian warns Thingol to be wary of the sons of Feanor, for as she says, quote, their swords and their councils shall have two edges. In time, the kinslaying begins to be rumored about Beleriand, and, quote, the evil truth was enhanced and poisoned by lies, no doubt by Morgoth himself. When Thingol hears the rumors from Círdan, Galadriel's brothers happen to be visiting Galadriel and Doriath. Thingol confronts Finrod and Angrod, accusing them of being, quote, red-handed from the slaying of your mother's kin. In their defense, Angrod speaks up, clarifying that they did not participate in the kinslaying of Aqualonde, and were guilty only of giving heed to Feanor's rebellious words. Then he, quote, spoke bitterly against the sons of Feanor, telling of the blood of Aqualonde, the doom of Mandos, and the burning of the ships, and also of the journey of Fingolfin and Finarfin's houses through the grinding ice of the north. While guiltless of the kinslaying, Melina advises that, quote, 
the shadow of Mandos lies on you also. Thingal ponders all this in silence. In time, he expels the sons of Anarfin from his house temporarily, but gives a command that the tongue of the Noldor will never be uttered in the open in Beleriand again, for, quote, All such as use it shall be held slayers of kin, and betrayers of kin, unrepentant. The Sindarin elves, remember, this faction came on the journey to see the trees, but never left Middle-earth, and never saw the light of the trees, obey Thingal's command, and thus the language of the Sindar became the common elven tongue at that time. In fact, I'd venture to say that most elvish words and names and places that you know of are given in the Sindarin form of elvish, like Gondolin, rather than in the Noldorin dialect. But the language of the Noldor remained amongst the lords and nobles of Noldor as, quote, a language of lore. So, to review, the Noldor divide the northern lands of Beleriand amongst themselves and organize a siege against Morgoth. Turgon founded Gondolin, a hidden city in a ring of mountains, leaving behind a set of armor for a future messenger to claim. Thingol finally learns of the kinslaying of Alquilonde and banishes the use of the Noldorin language in all of Beleriand. Join me next week where we learn of a new character, Moglin, how he is connected to Gondolin, and how the tragic story of his misplaced love will eventually bring about the fall of the hidden city. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at lordoftheringspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.